This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Greetings, Blenders, and welcome to Real Blend, a podcast whose year-end top 10 list is just going to be the 10 episodes of Hill House ranked in order of pure, <laughs> mind-blowing awesomeness. I uh, do have a comment about the last episode at some point in this podcast. Remind me to bring that up. Can we get away with doing that, though? Legit? Like, because I, no. I, if I made a top 10 list, the entirety of Hill House would be number one. But that's not fair, I did a right? top 10 list one time uh, before I was really doing it for, for press with a, with a buddy of mine, Chase, who makes cameos on the, on the Chase show off. a lot. Yeah. And yeah. he put Lost, the final season of Lost, as his number one, and it drove me nuts. <laughs> it drove me insane. Yeah. I was, like, screaming at him at uh, this pizza place called BJ's. I was like, you can't do that! It's not a movie. <laughs> I agree with you. You can't put a... I mean, listen, I think Breaking Bad is the greatest show of all time, and while I would uh, while I would love to put that in a top ten list, Lost, right. by the way, is, is, in, is over many, many years. How can you put that in one year? You put years? the final season of Lost. Okay. But Gabe's H- going insane right H- now. Hill House, by the way... <laughs> Can I can I I'll say something vague and I will not spoil what it is. Yes. I loved Hill I loved Hill House Beyond Belief. I thought it was one of the greatest shows I've seen in a long time. I yeah. did not like the last five Ooh, minutes. Ooh, I love the last five minutes. I did not like the musical Ooh. choice. Oh, I love the musical I, choice. I did not like the last five minutes. Who I, are have you I, no soul, I, sir? I think episode five, six, and eight are masterpieces of television. Especially six with the long tracking shots. And then is episode eight the one where opinion is a the, with, with, crap. With, with the jump scare that yeah. you like? Um and then ten, I, I thought ten. I thought the final episode did not. I thought it was a letdown. You're a letdown. Mm, I totally disagree. But we can't talk about that. Not okay. on this episode. We're gonna have to do it at another time. Um, amazing been, show. It's amazing. It has been so long, uh, guys, that I hardly even know how to do these intros anymore. So let's see if I can sort of get through this. I need to tell you that this is episode number forty-three, which means wow. that fifty is coming, and I really think that we need to do something special for fifty. And I'm gonna put that in in the ball is in Gabe's court. Gabe has much something you're, special. Sean, you're turning fifty. Yes. <laughs> no, that was 10 years ago, Kevin. Uh, I am Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing editor here at Cinema Blend. And as always, I'm joined by my brothers in blending Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. and Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Yet neither of them are in their hometowns. Where are you boys right now? Well, I'm actually um, in Los Angeles. Jake is not really here. He's actually somewhere else. Next <laughs> People to don't get this joke because they can't see us. They yeah, can't yeah. tell that we're actually sitting next to each other. Yeah. For those at home that are listening, Kevin and I are actually sitting next to each other uh, in sort of a, a, a mecca of movies, as it were. We're at the yeah. Beverly Hilton Hotel, which is where they host the uh, the Golden Globes. So if you ever see the Golden Globes, we are about, what, 100 feet from where they, they uh, host it every year. So that's that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, and the, and the cool thing about awesome. for, for people who don't know, like, you know, obviously we all do press junkets. So um, the hotel happens to be hosting the new Wreck-It Ralph junket, uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. So Jake and I were looking for like a, an area to go to that we could like share our microphone. So we're walking downstairs and we end up literally in the middle of the Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, we're surrounded by like, junket. There's all, like, like 90s arcade games yeah. and 80s arcade games. It's, uh, it's a blast. So, so if you hear sounds in the background, we refer to those as gnat sounds in the news biz, and, if you see and that's the, the sound of junkets. Yeah. That's the sound of uh, of us working. And if you see that guy from Magnolia and Step Brothers walk by, anything. he might walk no by. No one can see anything. I'm joking. But, right, Gabe, but John I want C- you to screen grab the two of them sharing their their headphones because it's adorable. I want that on the on the YouTube Twitter, please. But, on the on the Real the, Blend Twitter. It's like the poster for a Star Is Born. Just imagine a Star Is Born, and I'm Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
giving a little bit of perspective, perspective though, we are in an area where at any time, I mean, since I know our viewers or the listeners can't hear us, but John C. Riley, Sarah Silverman, and Taraji P. Henson will be here at some point. Yeah. But until that conference. happens, we are the most famous people in this, this room. That's true. Yeah, so you absolutely are. Um, all right, we're going to get to uh, some of the films that you guys have seen for the benefits of these junkets over the course of this episode. Uh, we begin with reviews, like we always do. And I want to let everybody know that we are at 64 star ratings and four new reviews. I think 64 star ratings uh, at the beginning of November puts us on pace to maybe hit that 100 mark. Uh, I'm sorry, before are we January going for 1st. star ratings or are we going for 100 comments? 100 star ratings. I said star ratings. I've never said comments. I always said star ratings. So we're at 64 right now. We'll be at 65 what is it? What is it? before. Like, like, aren't we like halfway through November? Uh, no, 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 no. November's just started. Don't rush the season. I know Christmas music is playing on satellite radio, but please don't rush the season. Uh, four new reviews. I'm going to read one of them. I'm going to mention one because it's a very clever review uh, written by Gene David, um, who is a friend of mine I know from college and referenced uh, a band that I adore named Too Much Joy. And wrote this review with all of these lyrics from a Too Much Joy song, which was really strange and funny, but ends up talking about our thoughtful and passionate conversation and thanked us very much for the conversation. I want to get to review number two, which I think was kind of funny. It says, uh, I was on the fence, but now I'm a believer by a person called the man, the myth, the flark. Which I don't I don't know what the flark is, but no, sure. Know. Nothing. No? Like, like okay. Paul, like Paul Flark. I guess like Paul Flark, Mall Cop, possibly. He says, so I've been listening to this podcast since around Oscar season. Uh, when I first listened, I used to get incredibly annoyed at the incessant bickering <laughs> within the podcaster circle. But as time went on, I realized, holy crap, this is me and these are my friends. I kid you not. It's amazing to me how much you all remind me of my friends and I. Ever since high school, uh, we have had a friendship with two guys who would sit up endlessly all night discussing any and every movie we could get our hands on. But as life happens, people drift apart, and now these podcasts have taken the place of those late-night conversations. I'm always unsure of certain opinions you guys have, and I often find myself wanting to jump in on the argument which I think is a great compliment. I'm not yep. one who usually leaves reviews, but there are multiple reasons I have chosen to take the jump. Number one, I want to contribute to your race to 100. Good luck. Thank you very well much. Well That's done. one well star done. rating right there. Number two, you dropped a reference recently to one of my favorite movies and most used quotes of all time. He does. I quit. I quit. I quit. I quit, Mr. White. Mr. White. Uh, that right there. That was me, wasn't it? Didn't I do that? That was you, Jake. Yes. Uh, that right there in itself deserves a standing ovation. I love me some Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shooters. And number three, the puns. When you were talking about the Tooth Fairy, I was hoping someone <laughs> would say they were going to go to the Tooth 30 showing. Anyway, he says, thank you for being awesome and knowledgeable about something I love. Keep up the awesome work. And as always, a big triumphant Dunkirk. With I like exclamation it. points. Uh, it's, that's that, a good, what a great, this that's guy a or gal, whoever. That's a really well-written review. I love the fact that people say that, you know, we are the, we're replacing the conversations that they used to have with their, with their film loving friends. So They're, the puns that were happening in the London episode were, uh, we were having a good time. There, 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 we there, were also there, slap happy because yeah. we had all been working like 20, 21, 22-hour yeah. days by that point, and we yeah. were just delirious. I, I listened back to that episode, and at one point, 
Kevin asks Chase if he's climbing under the bed because <laughs> the puns were so <laughs> bad. Because he, yeah. like, he, he was, was in fact climbing under the bed. The yes, uh, I, I was just I was just so proud of my chase off <laughs> joke. Yeah, I don't I don't even think we ever got to that on the podcast. But we were, like we do this bit where I, I do it on the show all the time where like we take someone's name and add a little pun to it. And I think I think the joke for him was what's Chase's favorite movie of John, all time? John Woo movie. Yeah, and it was Chase Off. Chase like Face Off. off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well done. Was he was funny. entertained by that. Uh, over the course of, of this uh, new episode, we are going to get to uh, some news, like we always do. We're going to introduce a new segment where we play um, Rising and Falling. And I, it, we're, we started this show as awards blend, where we would talk about the Oscar season. Then we started talking about everything, and now we're getting back into the Oscar season. And if we think about the last two weeks. I think we've all together collectively seen a lot of films that are going to be in Oscar consideration. I kind of sprung this on the guys at the last minute. I may go first in this one, and maybe they can just yell at me for the one that I'm going to say. But I think this can become a recurring segment where we start to talk about movies that are gaining some traction in the Oscar race and some that are there's some that are falling off as we begin to see them. Um, I have I have two as well. Are we are we oh, all good. going no, to take great. your turns? Yeah, yeah, perfect. So we'll get yeah. to that in a second. Uh, I do want to run through some of the recent trips that we went on because I know some people were following us on social media. Jake was in New Zealand. Uh, I got to go to Rome. Kevin was in New York for an award that he received, and I want to touch on all that briefly. But first, Sean, yes, can I say one thing? Please tell, and if this is not in your news, yes, uh, please tell me we're discussing that awful idea of a gladiator sequel. Yes, I have that. Okay, down. thank God. I have that okay, down. Please. Okay. God, well, let's start. Why, why not Jeez. start there? Why not start there? Because there's two Ugh. sequels that got announced, and uh, I, I wanted your take on each of them because we have not mentioned either of them in the text chain. Gladiator Two and no. Austin Powers Four. <laughs> so, no, Austin Powers Four. I'm all for. The only the only sequel news that made me happy this week was the confirmation of Martin Lawrence and Will Smith for Bad Boys Three. Yes, Bad, Bad Boys for Life. Yeah, but they confirmed it. It's official that. Lawrence and Smith they're on it so I am I'll, I'll believe it when they start Bad shooting. Boys 2 is one of my favorite action movies of all time now Gladiator 2 I think is the dumbest idea I've ever heard okay what's, what's a stupider idea Ridley Scott saying I want to continue the Alien prequel franchise without Xenomorphs in it or yeah. I want to do a Gladiator sequel Gladiator without sequel. without Maximus. See, Gladiator sequel without Maximus. To me, Gladiator was was Decimus Meridius. Gladiator was a movie that was encompassed from beginning to end. It was perfect. There was I mean, I'm not, I mean, there's I mean, the movie has issues when you look back on it, but I think it was a great story that was told that did not. I haven't watched it in years. What issues does it did, have? I don't know. I just don't remember. I don't. I remember being more blown away by Joaquin Phoenix's performance than Russell Crowe's. That's one of my favorite scores actually of all time. Great score. I mean the this the the Hans, the Hans Zimmer. Zimmer. Yeah. But um, I just. Why now? But I guess the same question is someone responded to me yesterday and kind of called me a hypocrite and said, well, you like the Blade Runner sequel, which is true. That's true. Uh, why, yeah, but, why, but, why? but Deckard is in it. True. So that's a, that's a great argument. So why make a Gladiator sequel? What's the story here? Well, I don't know. I, there was a script that was f- floated around years ago that had uh, Russell Crowe coming back for it. Is that not the story that they're doing, they've definitely said that well, he's not in Ridley it. Ridley Scott made a comment sort of along the lines of like, we had an idea to bring Russell Crowe back, but sort of tiptoed around the fact that Russell Crowe is not in the same shape he was 20 years. He didn't so much say it as he was. as <laughs> like, fair. Russell has changed a lot. Yeah. And if you've seen Boy Erased, you know that he sort of packed on some weight to be able to, because he really does look like uh, the, the the man that he played in real life. 
Um, sure. But he does not, I mean, you know, time, time marches on. He does not look like Maximus Decimus Meridius. So anymore. essentially it would be it would be Gladiator Russell Crowe erased, right? Like essentially uh, that, that's what would happen there. Or what horrible. if they called it Fattyator? <laughs> <laughs> right, you know what? I'm not, I'm not laughing at that. That's it. I, Kevin McCarthy is stepping away from that joke and sitting in a corner. Oh, that's unfortunate. I like that one. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, I, th- I know that the story idea that they had years ago was because obviously and not to spoil a movie that, that's been out for uh, 20 years now at this point. Um, but it was like uh, Russell Crowe's soul had to fight its way through the afterlife to return yeah. back to. Uh, which, again, which, to be fair, I, I don't think that that goes well with Gladiator. But no. their their belief of afterlife was a very real part of that culture. So it's yeah. not entirely out of the realm of. Of, of of things that make sense for them to do that. I don't think it it would be a great one two punch of films, but I also sort of get that. Yeah, I, I can see. I it. was I was astounded when I saw that they were making a Gladiator sequel. Like, here's the thing: Bad Boys Three that that makes sense. Those two sure. characters continuing, I get it. Um, you know, uh, Alien continuing on with Aliens, fine, whatever. I, I just Gladiator was such a movie that I just felt was completely encompassed in one story, and that I don't feel like, feel like a need to continue that story. Um, so I don't know how you guys feel on it. Are, are you yes or no? I'm honest? no. I'm no. And also, like, I'm it's, no it's the same too. thing I, with I James Cameron. I want Ridley Cameron. to do original yeah. movies. I'm tired yeah. of Ridley and that's going exactly, through his that's old exactly catalog. It. That's exactly yeah. it. It's just like, dude, like even even getting a flavor of something like him doing The Martian was sort of like, oh yeah, like give me give me that original. Stuff. Wait, you know? were those Avatar titles real yesterday? I I, I heard they were. Those uh, were. I don't know if that's confirmed. Did, did I, I, Fandango tweet it? Oh, that's possible. I'm almost yeah, certain Fandango the, tweeted the, it. The source, I can't remember if it was Fandango, but the source that I saw tweeted it out made me think they were legit. It was re- they legitimate. They were horrible. And they're terrible titles. <laughs> they yeah, are yeah. really I, horrible. Dude, I Hold tried on. rewatching Avatar on the plane back from New Zealand thinking like, oh, this would be an easy way to kill three hours. Oh, I made yeah. it about 20 minutes in and, and couldn't watch it. I was like, I'm, do- I'm done. I can't I can't watch this Jake anymore. and I were discussing this the other day, and I and I, my fear about James Cameron, not to get too far off track with him, but like it, a lot of these filmmakers, kind of like Ridley Scott, they're kind of going back to that well where a movie maybe did well financially and like, oh, we'll just continue that. But the problem with Cameron, and we all know this, like Terminator 1, Terminator 2, True Lies, Titanic, Abyss, all great movies. And he was, in my opinion, at that time making movies that used technology but also script and story were important. With Avatar and now with the other Avatar films, I have my fear with him is that technology has become the press has become the overpowering aspect to his filmmaking and not the storytelling and the script. Right. And we were talking about Avatar the other day. I mean, there's literally a scene where they're explaining what unobtainium is, and the, the stuff is called unobtainium, yeah. and it's just like, I, there's no way you wrote that and thought that it was a seriously a good idea. Like, I don't understand yeah. oh, that. But realistically, though, if these are the titles, and let me just read the titles really fast. Oh, um, my God. My point would be, if these are the titles, maybe he is actually trying to commit to world building and introducing some topics that he wants to legitimately explore. Maybe he has a, a huge story that needs... I don't think this is true, but I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. He might have a big story that needs this many films to be told. We have Avatar 2 is allegedly going to be called Avatar The Way of Water. The Way of Water. They've been talking for a while about exploring Pandora underwater, which could be interesting. If anyone's going to do it, I want to see Cameron do it, right? Right. Right. Okay. So Avatar 3, The Seed Bearer. Uh, Avatar 4, which I think comes out in like 2023, is called Avatar the the Tolkien Rider. Like J.R. Tolkien? 
Well, it's T-U-L-K-U-N. Tolkien uh, Rider. R-I-D-E-R. And then av- the fourth avatar, or fifth avatar. No. Two, three, four. This is the fifth The fifth avatar. Oh, thank God. <laughs> It'll be called Avatar The Quest for Ewa. E-Y-W-A. Was that in the, that was in the first movie, Awa or Ewa, sure. whatever that was. Yeah, I guess. Jake but here's watched the deal. It. So they just finished. They they finished filming two and three, right? They announced yeah. that two and three have finished filming. Yeah. Does that mean that they're going to do two and three and essentially see how well they do at the box office before we get four and five? So in that sense, does three need to have an ending in case we don't end up getting four and five? Uh, yeah. No. I, I mean, I think these movies are coming. Uh, I think Disney. You know, Disney bought Fox for a number of reasons, but a big reason why they bought them is for the Avatar franchise. And these are not going to be money losers by any stretch. They're going to make they're going to make are money. You sure? Are you, are you sure people mm. are going to show up? I agree want, with Sean. I think they're going to do well. I, listen, the first one made two point seven billion dollars worldwide. It's not going to do that. It's not going to do that. No. No. But but it doesn't need to do great. that to be a success. What if it's great though? It's what if part two be. is legitimately great? Here's the thing. Great. Part of me wants it to be great so it could just get me off the negative mindset of Avatar in general. Sure. Because again, yeah. I am such yeah. a two could make one better. Yeah, I'm such yeah. a Cameron fan, but I'm such a like. I, and Jake said this too. I will never forget when that movie first ended. I have never felt. Actually, you know what? I don't think I've ever felt more numb and underwhelmed until I recently saw the Suspiria film again. Like I was like I was like that's how I felt when it ended. I'm like I don't feel anything. But Did you hate I, that movie? I didn't see it. I haven't seen it. I either. wouldn't say that I hated it. I just very much disliked the tonal aspect to it. But okay. we can get into that later. But um, and by the way, um, I don't know if you have this in the news as well. But shout out to Netflix for uh, giving a theatrical run to Roma for two Kevin! weeks prior. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. you looked at the show notes. No, you I didn't. Literally actually. have all of my news. No, no. All right, we'll get to that. All right. No, I know you didn't look at the show notes. Nobody ever looks yeah, at my show I didn't notes. Look at them. Uh, Austin Powers fast. Show notes. Uh, we're on board with a fo- with a part four. You think this is a good I'm, idea? I'm always down for. Is Austin Myers Powers coming movie. back? Yeah, yeah. He's writing and he's starring in it. Can I tell you guys something? So the other day I'm, I was uh, I was at I was in um, London for the Bohemian Rhapsody um, premiere at Wembley Arena, and Mike Myers was walking the carpet, and uh, I will be 100 percent honest with you. Growing up, I always thought Mike Myers was British, only because of the character. <laughs> right? I never. <laughs> I couldn't even remember like what his real Canadian, voice sounded right? like. Yeah, he's Canadian. Yeah, yeah. His um, parents are British, and he's he has British British uh, really? citizenship. Oh, okay. Oh, he was. I mean, he was unbelievable. I remember. I, and he, I was. I had heard stories that maybe he wasn't like the nicest interview. Came up, gave me three or four questions. Um, nice. He was quoting things from Wayne's World. It was unbelievable. I asked him like what Freddie Mercury would think about this premiere, and he said, "Get a great interview." Excellent. With him. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it was funny. But speaking of that, I I I would watch another. Even though, can I, you got to say one thing though. One of the greatest shots, and and again, this goes back to my argument about why people um, underestimate comedies and don't consider them to be as great as dramas. Do you remember the opening shot? I think it was of Austin Powers Two, where they used food to cover all the private oh, God, parts. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And it, it was like this tracking shot. Wait a and tick. It, that means I'm single again. Think about how brilliant that shot was. I think it's one shot, and I think every every aspect of a private part. It's is not covered. one shot, but it's it's multiple. It's because he's like walking from his hotel room, and he goes into the lobby, and, like, and he goes to the pool, and like, then the food covers. Yeah. It's so brilliant. It's it one of my really favorite funny. shots I've ever seen. But well, anyways. I also think that like just enough time has passed where I'm ready for another one of those movies, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. you almost, with comedies like that, with characters like that, you have to let them disappear for a little while, and then they can come back and, yeah. and remind you, you why they were funny. 
Yeah. Is, J- and is Jay Roach coming back for this? That I do not know. I don't think any ah. details like that have been. I mean, the, the question is not. whether or not Mike would come back, and I think he has confirmed that he would come back. So now they yeah. figure out what they're. He's gonna great do. in Bohemian Rhapsody. See, though. I disagree. I don't. I don't like oh, the scene I in love- Bohemian. It's to me. It's too on the nose. Oh, to me, it's the same thing as what he did in Inglorious Bastards, which I didn't like. What? No. I loved him in Inglorious Bastards because it, it takes me out of the mood. Because I go, oh look, there's Mike Myers. Oh come on! I don't on. like that. Sean, your thoughts? Split the difference. There's, the, the there's a line in the Bohemian Rhapsody scene that that finally took me out of it. I was on the fence, but then when his character says, uh, "You need a song where that guys can bang their heads to while I driving around," I and I was that. like, "Ah, oh, oh. we get it." We like I basically <laughs> almost expected him to like look at the camera and break the fourth wall and like wait. Yeah, you like, do you know that people don't really recognize him in that scene. Like people are watching it, not even knowing it's Mike yeah, Myers. Yeah, well, people are idiots. No, I, I I didn't know it was him until like, someone pointed it out to me. I, That's not true. When I saw Tropic Thunder for the first time, I didn't know Tom Cruise was in the film until it ended. What? Get out didn't of here! Him. Didn't know it was him. Come Did on. not know it was him. I'm not, I'm not kidding here. I didn't know it was. I, him. I think that 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 his scene. I love the idea of him being in the movie, but to me, it felt like he was playing an Austin Powers character, like one of the side characters. Yeah, and like he was basically talking to us by going like, "No one wants to listen to a six minute Bohemian." I'm like, "Okay, I get it." Like, I understand. Yeah, I like the idea, but I think the execution was a little bit hamstrung. Agreed, agreed, 100. percent One of the conversations I ha- I was having uh, recently about movies and the kind of the state the state we're in right now with everything going on in the world was that like, what movies? And this is something maybe we can touch on in another podcast. What films came out years ago that would never be able to be made today? Ooh, that's a good. And, nice. and there was a, and there was a big uh, story this week about Tropic Thunder because Sean White. Uh, the uh, the I know Sean White dressed up as Simple Jack and it got a bunch of backlash and then Ben Stiller kind of came back and kind of defended the movie and defended not defended it but kind of just said listen this was but this it was, was a making movie. fun of right like same thing with Robert Downey Jr. playing playing Kirk Lazarus yeah. like it was making fun of people who yeah. do that and he the wasn't story doing that but the story was that Sean White had done this costume and that it was offensive but the, that being aside Tropic Thunder today. Would never be made, and yeah, even though the movie's about the movie's about people going to the extreme and going to that route to play a character and how ridiculous it is, you wouldn't. And didn't Downey Jr. get nominated he, he got, for an Oscar? He got it. Yeah, he lost yeah. to Heath Ledger. That but would he was still never happen. I today. I think that I, I still think it's one of the best comedies of the last. I agree 20 years. with you. I love Tropic Thunder, but think yep. about that coming out today in today's climate. It would never happen. But because people are missing, because people missing it, it couldn't come out because the people wouldn't sit down to try to right. figure out what it is they're actually saying. Right. They would just chalk it up to. Oh, he's he has blackface, which is not. Well, it's I'm not about people. It's studios. It's studios that would just be afraid of even That's taking true. a chance on something like that. And imagine like telling Ben Stiller, "No, we can't take a chance on you." Ben Stiller, who's like a proven box office commodity, yeah. right. you know, yeah. maybe not yeah. anymore, but for the longest time, he really was. Yeah. Um, I want to bring up a topic that Kevin just mentioned, which is uh, near and dear to our our hearts. We've discussed it on the podcast a number of times. Netflix films in Oscar contention that will receive a theatrical release. These include Roma. Alfonso Cuaron's film, uh, the Coen Brothers, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and the Sandra Bullock film Bird Box. Um, all of these are going to get at least a one week or two week theatrical release, so they can start awesome. to drum up some attention on box office. Not Apostle though, which which I love Apostle, and I would have loved but to have seen that. Apostle's out. On the big that's out already, right? Like, yeah, that's... I would have loved to have seen it on the big screen. Yes, I think. Well, and and because this. Uh, story is changing every single time that we bring it up and the rules are shifting and 
I think this is going to become the new norm for filmmakers who make deals with Netflix. People Agreed. like Quran, people like the Coens. Scorsese. Where they'll say, yeah, and Scorsese. We, we have to, of course, like, you know, I, you know I, I'm not going to watch The Irishman on my TV for the first time. And here's yeah. the thing. We had a whole discussion on our podcast about this um, back when the uh, we were discussing the Oscars, the idea that like I feel that a film needs to have a theatrical run before it ever goes to a streaming platform to be nominated sure. for an Oscar so that people have the option to go to a theater first. Now, this is this is much bigger than I thought it was going to be. I thought we were going to have to settle for a streamlined theater run at the same time as the as the Netflix stream, but no. Netflix is actually going and I got to give them major credit for this. You're getting a 2-week run of Roma prior to any release on streaming platforms. So, in my opinion, the beauty of that is if you really want to see it in a the theater, which I've heard you have to and Jake and John, you've seen it, I haven't seen it yet. Um like that is great. So if Netflix is going to do this for their films from this point forward, I am all for this. And then two weeks later, put it on a streaming platform, totally fine. But that first option should be a theater. It always There's be. two things that are going to go against that, and I'm really curious to see how this will shift. The theater chains still don't want to support Netflix. Uh, by, and by that, I mean Regal and AMC. I think that the the more independent-minded theater chains are giving a chance, but I'll tell you what's happened twice now, twice. Um, press screenings have been tried to book in my market here for 22 July, the Paul Greengrass movie, and the Coens. I got to see the Coens. And for each of them, I had to go to the Studio Movie Grill here in our market, which never hosts post uh, p- uh, press screenings. And I really think it's because Regal told the studios – we're not even going to let you do a press screening of a Netflix movie here. So I'm going to pay attention to where Roma plays and where Buster Scruggs plays. Like, I know that's not every market. It's going to be the top markets. I think this is a first step in the right direction. But those major chains are going to have to loosen their grip a little bit. And they and still point, hate Netflix. I saw Roma in a local small – we have a small screening room. Uh, we refer to it as the, the the Roger Ebert screening room because he had like a, a famous chair that he sat in, but it's like like a ten person screening room at the top of like a, a skyscraper in Chicago, wasn't it? It wasn't nice. in a major theater, um, but yeah, to your point, that's where I saw Roma. It wasn't. At I AMC. think that's why. I think that's yeah. why, and and that may change in a couple of months too, as the theater chains start to realize that they have to get on board because this is what's yeah. going to happen. Well, Netflix is becoming I, too big of a player. The two week thing should give them. I, I think that's a great compromise. I think that yeah. the, the movie theaters should say, okay, great. So you are going to give us the the option to play our movie first. Because the, 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 it's so ridiculous that a movie would come out at the same time on streaming and theater. And, of course, think about a person at home on a Friday night. Do I want to drive to a theater and see it or sit on my couch? And, listen, I mean, people like me and you guys, we're, we're theater purists and film purists, so we want people to see it in the theater. But you're talking about convenience factor. Um, but my problem with something like Roma I can't imagine someone being in their home on a Friday night and like getting up to go to the bathroom, not pausing their movie, you know, whatever. I just feel like it's too it's too chill and it's too much of a there's when you're in a movie theater, you're kind of set by guidelines. You don't speak. You don't use your phone. People do break this, obviously. But I feel like when I'm in a movie theater, I'm there to watch it. I'm not there to do anything else. It's a freedom for me to get away from the world for a couple hours. And that's the way I look at it. So but there was a woman next to me. I saw the hate you give. Yeah, uh, yesterday in Savannah, um, in a middle of the day screening. It's out in theaters already, but they brought it. Th- oh, they they had Amanda Stenberg was receiving an award, so they screened it. And I hadn't seen it yet, so I got to catch up with it. There was a woman sitting directly across the aisle from me who checked her phone repeatedly, oh, and I cannot yep. tell you how distracting it was. It's just every single time I literally. 
because I'm not a confrontational person and I wish I just got up and walked across and said, put your phone down or go out. And I should have said something, but I just, I'm not, I just don't do that. And, and I'm mad at myself. I'm the same way. But instead I sat there with my hand up <laughs> trying to block because it's like the sun, like the sun just lights up yeah. immediately and yeah. you can't not be distracted by it. It, it annoys me so much. But I want to just mention also too that um, Jake and I have different opinions about Roma, but, but Jake, you have to at least agree that it's, it would be a different movie if you watched it at home. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, it is a movie that requires your attention. I think, and not to like give it a dig without always giving you reason to have your attention. I mean, it's, it's a slow burn of a movie. It is the type of movie where if I watched it at home and my phone lit up and I got a text message, I'd probably check my phone while I was yeah. at home watching this movie. But when you're in a theater, I have respect for my fellow moviegoers. Yep. I'm going to sit there and watch it. And and it is 100% a movie that needs to be seen. And I, I think... Just because it's not Gravity or Children of Men doesn't have that that big screen spectacle doesn't mean it doesn't deserve to be seen in theaters. Just because it's a quieter film doesn't mean that it deserves a, a smaller screen. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Roma in the world uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but I'd still say if you're going to see it, go see it on the big screen and turn your freaking phone off when you do it. I haven't seen it yet, but Jake, I think the quote Jake sent to the studio was Sloma. I think that's what I think that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie yet, but, but Jake said it was slow. So I, <laughs> yeah, that was good. I almost literally really just did a spit take. I was drinking coffee when you said that. I, I don't think I've ever done a spit take before. Uh, I want to introduce this new segment, Rising and Falling. And, and uh, this is where we start to discuss some of these, some of the films like Roma um, that we've seen in the, the last couple of weeks. I'm so, by the way, movies. Sean and I are going to see Roma together. Uh, yes. With the with the cue, yes. so I'm I, I won't give away where it is. But I'm freaking out about this. So I mean, I'm a big Alfonso Cuarón fan, and I I would imagine I'm gonna love Roma because I just I've heard about the shots they do in the film and the tracking shots. But uh, Sean and I are gonna be going to a special like intimate Q and A with Alfonso Cuarón, which is kind of cool because Sean, we should try and recreate our picture with him <laughs> that we did at Critics Choice. So when, yes. when Sean and I were walking around Critics Choice and everybody was taking pictures with celebrities. Uh, Sean and I were like, we gotta find Alfonso Cuarón. This was like during the Gravity <laughs> year, and we like stopped. You and him. I did the same thing for, for uh, 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 Inuritu. Inuritu, and, yeah, and uh, yeah. Chivo. We went to a party just to stalk Inuritu and Chivo. I think we told the story <laughs> on the podcast before, but but Inuritu's daughter came over to us, and, she, and we were like, Hey, can, do you think your dad will be cool with a picture? And she like she like went over to her dad and said, These guys love you. And like Inuritu <laughs> came over, and then Chivo came over. Chivo gave me his email address. <laughs> Did I tell you about that? It was like the weirdest thing. We started talking about the children of men. Yeah, well, he gave shot. me his physical address. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. When Kevin and I approached Koran at Critics' Choice. Um, he literally looked at us like, you guys want a picture with me? Like, there's so many other fans. Yeah. Like, I think Clooney and Sandra Bullock were at his table. And yeah, we were they were. Like, yeah. Can we get yeah, a picture with you? And he was like, you. what? Yeah. What's wrong with you guys? Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do in this segment, and we're going to try to roll this out over the next couple of weeks and, and maybe do it on a consistent basis, is pick a movie that we want to talk about. Uh, talk about whether it's sort of gaining ground in the ongoing Oscar race or whether it's falling by the wayside. Uh, Jake, you said you had two. So do you want to go first with one? Yeah. Uh, so if we're talking uh, falling off yeah. the uh, the Oscar bandwagon, I'm going to say First Man. Unfortunately, I feel like... Dude, that was mine! That's uh, mine, yeah. too! <laughs> I, I just I feel like that's a movie that um, needed to do well at the box office. And sort of like when Blade Runner came out last year, it's it was well-received by fans and well-received by critics. But because it didn't do well at the box office, all of the headlines surrounding it were negative and a failure. And unfortunately, as horrible as this is, Oscars can be affected by whether or not a movie does well or doesn't do well at the box office. Sure. Which is why, to my point, the one that I would say is rising, not as a film, but to help Rami Malek, is Bohemian Rhapsody. 
It's not. Hmm. I think it's not being well received by you know. I think it's like fifty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I liked it so much. But I think Rami's chance at an Oscar nomination depended on that film doing well at the box office, and right now it's tracking at what like a forty five million dollar opening. Yeah, fifty um, be a so big say, hit yeah, for that 50. movie. Yeah, and I'm yeah. surprised how big it is. Yeah, so yeah, I think I'm that sure. um, I think I'd say rising for Rami Malek because it, for him to receive an Oscar nomination because I don't think it's guaranteed because the movie was is well received. Um, I think he needed that movie to do well at the box office, and it, and it is doing well. The one that I'm feeling rising, uh, and again, this is I don't even know have any specific analytical information as to why I feel it's just based things on Twitter and things like that. I'm feeling a rise for the hate you give in regards to like an, a, a that becoming a big Oscar type push film um, for Amanda and also the film itself. Um, also, have you guys seen it? Have you guys seen Hate You Give? Yeah, yeah we saw it together. Well, yeah, we liked it. Yeah. I didn't love it, but we liked it. Yeah. Um, it's so powerful. Yeah. It's really powerful. It, right? I didn't love it either. I, yeah. I I liked it. We liked it. But do you? Uh, and I was talking to someone about this the other day. Actually, like yesterday in a screening, um, and they brought up a good point about the fact that the the screenwriter of this film died the day before the movie opened. Right. Um, right. So I wonder if that. I wonder if that's going to be a. You know, uh, that's going to play into. You know, like could like you know this. I, not 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 that that would affect the film being nominated, but I feel like there's a lot surrounding this film, like emotionally, in regards to what the story is, the screenwriter, um, things like that. So I think that you know, I think this movie is kind of rising in the Oscar race, well, in my opinion. And I think that they just need more people to see it. Like if they go through the effort to push people to actually see the movie, I was afraid that the film was going to be heavy-handed with its approach to uh, to race and with um, cops shooting. Innocent people, uh, because that's become such a hot button topic. It can be very controversial. And sometimes when a movie tries to react to news stories like that, um, you know, it's like, oh, here goes Hollywood spouting off about current events. But the movie is so balanced and even keeled and it weighs every side of the argument and presents pros and cons for each of them. And the cast was incredible. The cast was so good. So I just think if Fox can get it in front of more people's eyeballs, they'll understand that it's a really powerful film that. That deserves to be in the conversation. I think that's a really good call. Can someone of seeing that explain is- to me why there's so much negativity surrounding Bohemian Rhapsody? Like I don't. I'm very, I think I'm people very- feel like it is uh, whitewashed a little bit. I think if you sort of know the story of Queen, to know the story of Freddie Mercury, you know that he did not lead a PG-13 life, and uh, and uh, you know, but we got a PG-13 film. Well, I don't know. Also, too, it's it's competing against a very authentic. Um, rock story in star is born also <laughs> so i think people maybe come out and see the how how gritty and down to earth that movie is and then bohemian rhapsody is kind of just like a shiny surface movie and my it's argument, fine my argument on bohemian rhapsody was that it wasn't a it wasn't a friday mercury film it was a queen film yeah but still queen itself was still an r-rated story. Yeah, like every every rock star <clears throat> story of the 70s should be R-rated, if we're being honest. But what I liked about Bohemian Rhapsody was was the idea that it was more about the uh, the idea of how much Queen influenced each other and how how, how they were all and that's, integral and that's important to each other. But don't so. you feel that if you're making a biopic about someone, the person you're making the biopic should not be involved? I don't, I don't, and I get that, that Fox is in a catch twenty two. Elton John's involved in rock. I know, Man. and I don't think he should be. I I don't think like I know they can't get the rights to the Queen music without getting the sign off of of uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor. But like when you allow them to be involved, it you just run the risk of the movie being inauthentic, and and I don't think someone should have a say in how their story is told. Yeah, yeah I, I listen. I, 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 
I, I just think I think Bohemian is a much better film than people are giving it credit for. I think Rami Malek is phenomenal. To me, the Live Aid sequence is worth the entire price of admission. I, it's mind-blowing how they shot that, especially the continuous shot from the top of Wembley all the way up to the stage with the crowd. Um, I love every moment they come up with the music in the, in the movies. Uh, the We Will Rocky moment, the Galileo moment, the Bohemian, all that kind of stuff. So to me... It worked. I think Rami Malek. I mean, I liked it. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't dislike it. But I didn't. You know, I, I. I thought Rami Malek is, is truly deserving of an Oscar nomination. Yeah. I just feel like it wasn't the quintessential Queen movie that I was hoping for. Well, the rising I'm going to bring up is sort of tied into Jake's falling. Is that um, I think Green Book is rising, uh, and I think Universal is going to start putting the money that they were going to invest in First Man and start to pour it into Green Book. And the I campaign. heard that in Toronto. In uh, I got to see Green Book um, in. Where did I see it? Oh, I, the screening here in Charlotte. And it, it's you watch a movie sometimes and you just know you're watching soon to be Oscar nominated performances. And Vigo and Mahershala in that film. The movie itself is fine. Um, it's 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 good. It didn't strike me as like this is a front runner kind of thing. But I think if they push the movie itself, it could get into most of the categories, most of the Oscar races, because it's just a sort of feel good crowd pleaser. But the two of them are so good in it. And especially Vigo who kind of just loses himself in this role of a uh, uh, Italian sort of bouncer who has to tour the deep South with a concert pianist. And, you know, it sort of plays into every sort of cliched uh, attempt you would think of, of a racism conversation in 1960s, but their performances are so incredibly good. And I think over the next couple of weeks, Green Book is going to, to rise. So oh, I, um, I, I, I keep seeing that Mahershal Ali is going to be like almost like a lock for supporting actor. Like, but but I, do you think it hurts his chances that he just won? Like, yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think Though, Then again, Christoph Waltz won just within a few years. He won two supporting actor Oscars. I want to see yeah. Sam Elliott win for Star is Born. Yeah, uh, he'd be great. I, I think that's one of the best supporting performances of the year. What about Timothy uh, Chalamet for Beautiful Boy? That movie That movie wasn't great, though. That's fair. I thought he was great. He uh, is really good in it. Um, all right. I want to talk really quick about recent trips that we were able to go on. Uh, Gabe is telling me we can't go over five minutes for any of these. He's already laying down the law about like how much we haven't talked to each other in a long time, Gabe. We want to be able to discuss this stuff. Uh, Jake went on the trip of a lifetime. Uh, he went to New Zealand and participated in a press day for Alita Battle Angel and was directed by... Robert Rodriguez. Jake, just give us a quick insight into what that was like. Yeah, it was really, I mean, the movie is a few months from coming out. It doesn't hit theaters till uh, Valentine's Day of next year, but uh, the studio wanted us to get a feel for really going to Weta and, and, and truly what it means to participate in the performance capture, which if you're familiar, it's, you know, the dots, all when you wear like the very form-fitting suit and it's got the 53 dots all over you and, and Andy Serkis made it famous with Lord of the Rings and the Apes films. So we went to New Zealand, uh, Wellington, and we went to Weta Studios, which, which is where they do all of the motion capture work for all of the all the famous films from, from the Avengers to Planet of the Apes to Lord of the Rings. And uh, I got to suit up in the motion capture suit. I got to go onto a, a makeshift set, which if you, if you just look at it, it looks like nothing. It's just a bunch of sort of scraps around a room. And then uh, go through a fight scene while Robert Rodriguez directed me and scored me at the same time. He picked up his guitar and sort of was scoring the, the moment. And, uh, and then That's I got incredible. to sort of see the action scene in real time because he had TV screens around where I could see my character. And, and we're talking like everything in, in that studio had the dots on it. So I could participate in like if I picked up a rock, my character 
I picked up a rock. If I picked up a stick, it translated into a flaming guitar. Like it was a fully immersive interactive experience. <laughs> that's awesome. Which really gave me a better appreciation for for what it is that they do there. And, well, that's yeah, what I was saying. Like we've had this conversation a lot of like, mo- is motion capture acting? I think all three of us sort of believe that eventually we're going to get to a point where motion capture is recognized as true performance, almost as much as acting is. Did, did doing this process give you more insight into that? Whether Absol- we're absolutely right or wrong? so, it, and it really, you know, it, it solidified what what you know what we've talked about before, which is that there's no difference between Gary Oldman putting on 100 pounds of prosthetic and Andy Serkis putting on a motion capture suit. There's absolutely no difference whatsoever. To be fair, I didn't do the the facial capture. I didn't wear the helmet where they put – I think that was probably a little bit too much for them to to worry about. They were more sort of giving us a general idea. But, you know, when you're in that action scene, you really do have to like – I had to think about how I was walking. I had to think about – you know, like you're you're not just showing up just for them to place sort of an animated character over you and like you're getting from A to B. Every – little minute detail even my fingers had dots on them so if i moved my fingers my character moved his fingers like we're every every detail there's no difference between what what gary oldman did for darkest hour and what andy circus did for uh for planet of the apes no difference did your guy did your guy have amazing hair he did have amazing hair he has amazing hair Good. Come on. Then come on. that's like, accurate. Come on. This period it's, accurate. Like you, it's like you don't get me. <laughs> that's so cool. I mean, like, uh, Rodriguez is someone that I looked up to as a kid. I used to watch his 10 minute cooking schools and um, El Mariachi Desperado once upon a time in, uh, uh, what am I thinking of? Once upon a time in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, that was a really hard one to miss. Like, I, had, I had to turn Kevin, it down. Kevin, we actually got an invitation to, to send people to Troublemaker this weekend, and I almost just wanted to put you down as our person oh to send. I know you don't God. work for Cinema Blend, but I just wanted to send you. Oh, my God. I Because I, I, I always watched um, his Sin City features and things like that, and he, because he, if you go to Troublemaker, from what I've seen in videos, he has, like, an edit bay, a music bay, like, he just has, like, the bays where he goes in. Michael, Michael Bay. Michael Bay, yeah. A Michael and he Bay. Does, like, yeah, and he all the editing, and <laughs> Michael Bay is just sitting in a room, he just has him in there. Uh, no, that, I, the footage I saw, because it's funny, when I, Jake and I flew into L.A. together on Thursday, and like, I think the entire car ride from the airport to the hotel was me interviewing Jake about his experience at Weta because it was like, because <laughs> I mean, I'm such an advocate for performance capture and how it, 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 I thought that Circus deserved the Academy Award that year, no question over Gary Oldman. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even a question for me um, that his performance was better. Oh, but, and you love uh, Oldman too. Uh, I thought Oldman was fine. The movie was just not but you can't You can't judge it for the movie, you gotta judge it for the performance. Eh, well, that's another thing. But anyways, yeah, it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, Rodriguez playing the guitar. The footage that yeah. Jake has is insane. insane. I'm excited for you guys to see so the, cool. uh, the the piece. We we we're given access to some of the footage. We're given access to to other later. So um, once it, once it's cut and edited, obviously we'll uh, we'll we'll share the link on the Real Blend account. But I think this is a good excuse to tell people why Kevin couldn't go on this trip, which yes. is a pretty damn cool reason to not be able yeah. to go. No, yeah, we I got to toot Kevin's horn for a little while here. Well, no, we'll keep this quick. But yeah, the uh, Broadcasting and Cable mag- Magazine was giving gives out an award every year called Forty Under Forty. I, I wasn't familiar with it prior to uh, the award itself, but it was weird because I was in a room with a lot of people who don't do what I do for a living, but they're all somehow working in the television business in some way, shape, or form. There was a guy next to me who was called up before me that made two point seven million dollars last year. I was like, uh, this is kind of crazy. Um, so I, I kind of felt a little bit out of place, but. It was a uh, it was a cool event. That the reason that's the reason why I couldn't go to New Zealand was or because the event was on Tuesday and Jake was flying home Wednesday, so I, I would have missed the interviews. Um, you know, it was a, it was it was a really cool award, and my general manager was able to make it up uh, there. He was already in New York at the time, so it was just you know it was just nice to be a part of that group. And um, yeah, 
an Thank awesome achievement. That's awesome. What an Thank incredible, you. incredible achievement, dude. Well deserved. They, they called me Gabe when I went on stage, though. I, I, I thought it was very strange. And that Fair was like, enough. And then, and then, and then, <laughs> and then Gabe popped down from the ceiling and wrapped me up. And I wasn't even speaking. I was literally just giving someone a hug and taking a picture and then leaving. Up, but Gabe was wrapping me up for the photo. I wasn't even talking. So you went was, too yeah. long. Yeah, I went too long. <laughs> And while those guys were doing that, um, I got to run to Rome, Italy. I went from the Bohemian Rhapsody uh, press event, which um, we talked about on the last episode. So if you guys haven't listened to that one, definitely download it. Because in that process, we also talked about the fan meetup, which we got to do, which was unbelievably incredible. Still, it blows me away to that point. Uh, Shot down to Rome to do The Girl uh, in the Spider's Web. And I don't think I can talk about that movie just yet. I was able to tweet reactions and I said, um, it's different it's just different from the other films it's more accessible uh they kind of treat um elizabeth's character like bond she's a little bit more bond in this movie um it's kind of like a straight up action thriller fetty alvarez directed it and fetty did um don't breathe and he did the evil dead uh remake recently he's a really good action director i was not sold on claire foy as elizabeth salander um previously you have rooney mara and uh who's the girl from prometheus who yeah what's her name Uh, um, totally blanking. Anyway, um, she's more of a – Claire Foy is more of a straight-up action uh, character. She's really impressive. She totally won me over. And so that movie comes out this week. Uh, we'll be able to talk more in depth after the other guys have seen it. Uh, but I like – Sean, did you get yeah. to ask um, uh, Claire about her favorite Nickelodeon show? <laughs> no, I did not. Double Claire Foy? <laughs> Double Dare. It was a show on Nickelodeon called Double Dare. No, my icebreaker with her was um, what went wrong with First Man? And uh, that went over over really well. Wow. That's really good. Wow. (laughs) She she had a long answer. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. And then you just – after you said it, you just stare foy at her. And one thing we got to do too was ride scooters around um, – Vespa scooters around Rome, which – listen, uh, sometimes we talk about really pretentious things that we get to do on this podcast. If you guys are ever in Rome and you have the ability to ride Vespa scooters around the city, that's the way to see Rome, I'm telling you. There's did, no, you did you let, just – so I did a chef's kiss. Mm, that is – Did you also <laughs> change – Did you also ask her her favorite <laughs> rock band? Oh, yeah. God. No, I didn't. What's her favorite rock band? Do you know? Uh, Claire Supply. Like Air Supply? Isn't there a rock band called Air Supply? This week's King Blend. Uh, this yeah, week's that's, Blend that's, that's game is King Blend. Hashtag King Blend. We are wrapping up the Halloween editions of the Blend game. Uh, even though it's November, we oh, just uh, uh, J- a a her, his, her favorite. Oh, um, my God. No, no, you forgot her favorite Jason Reitman movie. Up in yeah. the Claire. <laughs> yep. Get it? Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I'm Gabe, looking forward this to doesn't see- deserve a rap? Like, this I'm is okay? To seeing, I'm sorry, my I'm New Zealand story gets a rap? Contender, but- her Oscar contender this year, Foy Erased. <laughs> see? Thank you. He's all in on this. He I is am. all <laughs> in on this. I'm following in. Uh, hashtag KingBlend is our conclusion to the Halloween-themed blend game, and then I have a really fun one for next week. Um, these are our favorite movies based on Stephen King books doesn't necessarily have to do anything with the King book itself. It can just be because we really love the movie. Doesn't Wait, Sean, real quick. Adaptation. Uh, yes. Claire's favorite all oh for my God. Claire's favorite all for one song. Yeah. Remember, remember the group all for one and, uh, no, and Ryan Reynolds sang that song. I Claire. Just friends. I, I Claire. I don't think I do. I Claire. Jay, you get to go first. Why you're here. Oh, I'm going first. My yes. favorite uh, Stephen King 
uh, movie of all time is actually a movie that I find a lot of people don't even know is a Stephen King movie, which is The Green Mile. Ooh. I just think it is a beautiful. I actually prefer, you know, if we're talking Frank Darabont, Stephen King prison films, uh, I prefer The Green Mile over Shawshank. I just think okay. it's just this beautiful because Tom story. Hanks is in it. Well, he's fantastic in it. I mean, Michael Clark Duncan's <laughs> performance, uh, for which he received an Oscar nomination, is absolutely beautiful. And it's the and movie Rockwell. that, um, uh, yeah, Sam Rockwell is incredible as Billy the Kid. Uh, David Morse is great. Uh, David I, Morse is really good. Yeah, in that. David Morse is yeah. great. And and the ending is probably the movie ending that most makes me cry. Um, the scene where John, for you know, spoiler alert for a twenty year old film, where they are executing John Coffey, and they start to put the hood over his face, and he says, "No, please don't. Like, I'm afraid of the dark." And mm. Tom Hanks has to kill this man. It's essentially Stephen King has, has publicly said it's his version of the of the, the, the story of Jesus Christ right. told in a Louisiana prison. In fact, John Coffey oh. has the same initials as JC, JC, Jesus. Interesting. Christ. It's a story of, of Jesus, but told in a Louisiana prison. And when Tom Hanks has to they, when, the, when the team has to execute this innocent man at the end of the film. And Tom Hanks just stares at him, and you know, and 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 the, and the people in the room are just shouting these horrible things at John Coffey, and he steps forward and and just shakes his hand. I just think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of film, uh, uh, ever 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 shot. And I just, That's awesome. it's a beautiful story. And you know, and, and if you know Stephen King, you know that one of the benefits of a Stephen King story is that you, sometimes they don't end well. Sometimes they don't end the way you think they're going to. And uh, and and this is just it was it's a tragic ending, but it's a beautiful film. It's three hours. It flies by in a flash. Um, just a, an amazing ensemble cast. Yes, led by Tom Hanks, um, but it's just I, I. If I could watch any Stephen King film right now, it would be that one. By any chance, did you read the the? I did the six part. Yeah, yeah. I read it as one novel. I know whenever he released it, he did it experimental and did it as six different pieces. Um, I read yeah. it as one, and I'd argue it's the truest to page. Like it's it's the of, of all the adaptations, it's almost word for word, exactly. It. Yes, but there's a scene in the books that to me is one of the most haunting Stephen King moments that they, they, they don't include. I don't believe they included it in the movie. I haven't seen The Green Mile in a really long time. So John Coffey, since we're totally into spoilers now at this point, um, and if you haven't it's seen The Green Mile already, if you seen we're going to ruin it. Yeah, we're going to ruin it for you. Um, John Coffey is able to basically heal people. He has the ability to – he has powers to heal people. And there's a scene in the book of Tom Hanks's character, much older – uh, and his he and his wife are involved in a bus crash mm-hmm. and his wife is dying on the side of the road and he's and he's holding his wife and he's looking around for John Coffey. Right. Like he he wants John Coffey to be to be able to come out and, and finally use his powers to to help heal this man's wife as she's dying in his arms. And then he has to remember that, oh, I, I executed this man a long time ago yeah. and this gift that he had um, cannot save me and is not able to save all these other people. Yeah. And I remember reading that. I was a teenager, I think, when I read it, and I was like, I was so moved, and I was like, yeah. this is such an incredible uh, scene, you know, that's that's being painted so beautifully by this incredible author. Uh, like, I literally felt like I was on the side of the road in the rain at this bus crash with this guy watching his wife die, and and, and, and the screaming thing that out loud for John Coffey is that his punishment for doing that is that he has long life and now has to watch all of his friends and family die. Yeah. Like he's, he is yeah. significantly old, just like Mr. Jingles. And he said, you know, that's sort of the point at the end of the film is that like, this is like for, for what I've done, this is my punishment is that I stay alive and watch everyone else around me oh, die. And then, really and then it good. ends. I was watching an interview recently with Tom, uh, with Tom Hanks talking about like his favorite movies of all time. And 
oddly enough, he said not another teen mile. Which oh I thought was <laughs> I thought was really really well done. Not another teen mile. Come on, Kevin, mile. you get to go next. All right. Um, actually, weirdly enough, I um, I uh, chose best when I f- forwarded my answer to Gabe, so I switched mine to favorite. Sorry. So my best was The Shining. Um, clearly, I think that's the best thing he's ever been adapted from his book. No, ironically, even though, even though hates King doesn't like it, it right? Um, <laughs> I. <laughs> My favorite is solely based on a reaction that I will never forget having oh, in the cinema. Oh, I know cinema. what it is. I know what it is. And we've discussed this in the theater yeah. uh, on the show before, but yeah. the ending of the mist. Oh yeah, was so shocking that I, I I'll just remember, I'll just never forget being in that theater and Thomas Jane doing what he does in that car, stepping out and the military showing up. That movie was very frightening just in general because of the things you couldn't see. It reminded me of kind of like that Jaws aspect where like. You know, you would get very, very quick views of what was going on. And then all of a sudden, oh, Eric Eisenberg, come say hi to Real Blend. All right, all right. Eric Eisenberg, who hosts Hero Blend, just walked yeah, by. You hear people in the background because we're literally in the middle of a junk. But it literally was the host of Hero Blend walking by yes. our show. Um, and, he, anyway. and he refused an opportunity to appear on yeah, yeah, Real Blend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he said, is Gabe producing? I'm getting the hell out of here. Um, so, so, anyways, my, my point being is that. Um, well, I, I consider it my favorite because of the genuine jaw-dropping reaction I had to the ending. Now, I know that's not what Stephen King wrote in the book. Yeah, but he says he prefers, prefers the, movie the ending. ending. Yeah. Which um, is ironic because normally he writes such dark endings, but yeah. the ending to The Mist, like short story form, because it's a long short story, yeah. is uh, is a fairly hopeful ending. Yeah, and, and again, this is all kind of in that Frank Darabont realm, right? Because Darabont yeah. did uh, Green mm-hmm. Mile, Shawshank, yeah. and then The Mist. And yep. The Mist always kind of... It was always so scary because you're taking place what primarily in a grocery store, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. the and and it's what is out there, what you can't see. But for people who aren't aware of it, essentially spoiler as well, Thomas Jane uh, gets in a car and they're trying to get away from these ma- massive, horrific monsters that are like, you know, hundreds. Wasn't one of them like a hundred feet, hundreds yeah. of feet tall? <laughs> and uh, in order, it, because he doesn't want to see his son. And the people in the car get killed by these monsters. They pull a gun out, and I think the gun has three or four bullets. Not enough. Not enough to kill everybody. Just everybody else but Thomas Jane. So he shoots his son, kills his son, kills everybody else in the car. Gets out of the car, and then was it like ten seconds later, the military pulls up and says, "Can we help you?" Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh my god! <laughs> like it's one of the. It, that was one of the most jaw dropping moments. I've, I'll never and Thomas Jane scream. It is yeah. so. so I, favorite's a weird word for that, considering it's so no, dark. I mean, but that's, I mean, we're talking it, Stephen King. It's, that's, it's the moment in a theater that I'll never forget watching a Stephen King movie. So that automatically makes it my favorite. Yeah, uh, I think you have to sort of choose a Darabont uh, adaptation. I think he gets King more than anybody else, so that gives you the uh, the choice of Mist, Green Mile, or Shawshank. Um, I, I did not. Uh, I also think you have to choose. Uh, I wanted to choose Shawshank, or I wanted to choose Stand by Me. Um, but I defaulted off of each of them because I think that a King adaptation needs to be a horror movie. It needs to be something scary. Um, and so I picked Pet Cemetery as my favorite one because I just love the concept yeah. of Pet Cemetery and the adaptation it, of it. Way. What's that? I just started reading it for the first time. Oh, the book is so disturbing. The, the book Achilles is really Achilles tendon scene under the bed. Yes. Will forever scare me beyond belief like that is one of the most brutal scenes i've ever seen in a movie ever a hundred percent it's one of those scenes that just haunts me i saw it as a kid and i can't imagine the pain that that man is going through oh my god that scene is so messed up that scene is so nasty 
the I think I think the adaptation is so, going to be great. The and, concept is so simple. It's just sometimes dead is better, right? Like what an amazing tagline yeah. that is. So people who don't know Pet Cemetery, it's 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 an so Indian scary. burial ground where if you bury something that has recently died, it will come back, but it'll be changed a little bit differently. And this couple moves on to a, into a house that happens to be situated on a really a very busy road. Um and that's in the new trailer, uh that's a fantastic uh, jump scare right off the bat of just the sound of a truck barreling yeah. down the road. And you're just like, oh man, they really are close to the road. Like that's really, so, you know, not to spoil anything that happens, but people die. And then this family has to be uh, pressed with, do we, do we actually believe in the Indian burial ground? Are we going to put something into the ground and see what happens when it comes back? Uh, great, great, great story. A really good adaptation that's probably kind of dated now. I mean, if you go back and watch the original Pet Cemetery, although the, the tendon scene is incredible. And I think, you know, Zombie Gage is tremendous. Kid, that little boy is kid. incredible. Yeah, the yeah. kid. Yeah. Freaky, so creepy. So creepy. Um, but now they're remaking it and uh, Lithgow is going to play the older man. And um, Sometimes dead is better. Yeah, it's just great. It's just great. And so I'm really looking forward to the new adaptation, but I, that is my favorite. It's one of my favorite King books and stories. And um, I almost picked it. I almost went with the new it, um, but it's half It's half of the story, right? right? Like maybe by the time one and two come out, it'll be – I, I agree. I, I also think them. it could be as, as – do you think we'll get um, like a Blu-ray release that treats that as one film? Uh, I don't know. I'll ask Tarantino. What did he do with Kill Bill? Yeah, but see, Tarantino shot the movie as one film. It was shot as two movies. You do know you're wrong on that. You're, you're, it's okay. Freaking out. Uh, audience picks for King Blend. Matt uh, Pasantino uh, said Misery, which I, is a really good one also. And then uh, Chris Folk said Stand By Me. So, yeah, Stand By Me. Uh, Stand By Me is a really great one. Um, and again, adaptations of King short stories, I think, are really successful. Uh, although oh, I would love get... to see um, uh, The Long Walk adapted, which is a Richard Bachman short story, but it's okay. the one about the contest where the kids just have to walk down a road, and if you're the last one standing, you you and your family get taken care of for the rest of your life. It's a very vague world, like like, but it's these kids who just like, starts out with like 40 of them, and they just walk down a road, and these guys on horses with guns walk along with them and as they start as they start dropping off they get shot and killed okay and you oh, want God. to be the last one because the last because because the last one takes care of your family and you for the rest of your life but it's a very dark like pre-hunger games super messed up uh, uh story it's one of his earliest but in fact it's a richard bachman story originally um if you know richard bachman died of cancer of the pseudonym uh as mm-hmm. stephen king says um but yeah you gotta you gotta read the long walk and it would be a great maybe a great uh, hbo movie or something um, we want to set up next week's blend or the next yeah. time we get together. Uh, and I, uh, would like us to do hashtag Pixar blend. Ooh, I know. Our Mine, that's favorite easy for me. Yeah, Pixar movies. Oh, wow. Already? Yeah. You guys would actually Simple. have to think about it for a little it's bit. Been so. my, it's been my because it's favorite. If it were best, it would be harder. My favorite right. is my best for the, for Pixar. All right. Well, everybody else can play along on social media uh, or by using hashtag PixarBlend, or you can actually send us your pick via email uh, at RealBlend. You can send send us your pick, sorry. Oh, dear God. Yes, you can send us. That was actually pretty That was pretty. See, every once in a while, he comes up with a good one, 
and then it makes me want to keep playing the game. <laughs> it's the beauty Does of it? Kevin. Does it though? <laughs> uh, you guys can listen to us uh, every week here on, well, usually on the Facebook page. We didn't do it on the Facebook Live page because we're all scattered in different directions. Yeah. We are on iTunes. Of course, can keep contributing to our star ratings, which we want to hit 100 by January 1st. Every time you guys leave us a review, we promise we will read them on the show. You can find us on social media at Real Blend. Uh, and of course, the guys are at their other handles at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean, Sean underscore O'Connell. Thank you very much for tuning in this week, guys. Thanks for taking the time, even though you're in junket land. We really appreciate it. Godspeed. And, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. Dunkirk. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.